Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listen on discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, it is us, and I am your host, Game Goblin, sitting alongside... Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. And... Kazakhan, the Lord Dragon. And I'm going to begin today's episode before we actually get into the topic with some good news. Cashews. <laughs> Those who have not yet noticed or haven't opened the app recently, uh, I just discovered this a couple weeks ago and I got around to it because I've been playing a lot of it lately. The range to spin Pokestops has apparently been increased back to 80 meters from the previous 40 meters and shall remain so indefinitely, according to Niantic, uh, who listened to everybody who was bitching about, you know, hey, 40 meters is a bit close. Uh, I myself, I could not spin any Pokestops when I'm off work because that would involve post-sunset trespassing. So having that 80 meters back has been great for me to spin Pokestops, get my Pokeballs, and play the game again. For those of you who are trapped in your house or otherwise going through the whole fucking acrobatics of the pandemic stuff, yes, you can now pass by places you previously could not enter because you don't have a mask or enough vaccination status or enough brownie points or your social credit score was too low. Or they're closed. Or they're closed. Because you can... they went out of business. Yep. You can now spin the Pokestop again, now at a distance of 80 meters. Number two for good news, coming in, I believe, February? February, but I definitely know in 2022, quarter one, we are getting a new Saints Row game. Ah, uh, yes, SJW edition. Uh, it's Saints Row, though. Um, hopefully they've toned down on the SJW bullshit. However, it is nice to see them go, hey, you know what? This uh, flagship product we made is our moneymaker. The last thing we did with that whole sandbox shoot 'em up pow pow game didn't work out too well. And the only way to get money off that was to include DLC with Saints Row stuff in it. So it's nice that they've gotten the hint to return back to base. Now, I don't know about the SJW stuff just yet. I haven't reviewed too much, but hopefully it's a Saints Row game where they actually go to SJW and then do an about face and make the fucking fun of it i mean come on this is a game that was built on running around in a sewage truck shooting people while wearing a clown mask so we shall one see one can hope one can hope one can hope because saints row is the one that's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek having fun and do crazy stuff so if they stick with that i am stoked if not god damn it but that's my good news and now we're going to move into something a little bit more treacherous and that is navigating terrain in your role-playing game as we have all said when we were on our little break for tobacco products is really terrain is underutilized by gms and not well understood by most players because think about how many posts have you seen where lol um you know crossing rough terrain or however it's worded never comes up in game that's because your GM isn't trying. It's a hard thing to do, but if you're not trying with terrain, you're really missing out on a whole new level of play. 
because having uneven play surfaces, two football fields of shale at a 45-degree angle. From last week's episode, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, for what I've done, 40-foot drops, straight up. They're on cliffs. It's basically like a giant version of the Giants' causeway. And yeah, there were straight up 40-foot drops. And to have a player tell me, oh, well, I'll just take the fall damage. Oh, oh, okay, cool. I uh, hope you land right. <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those things of... Let me roll my random chance dice for a random chance you'll break your neck. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> By me. the way, it's a D3 and it's blank. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like terrain, uh, for anybody who knows terrain, who's done anything outdoorsy, when we go camping here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, typically most of the campgrounds are quartered off and to specific, Manicured. And, they're, and they're taken care of and monitored and all that stuff. So going from point A to point B in a campground is really easy. There's a goddamn trail for guns. There's sake. a goddamn trail, and it depends on get, where you're going. It depends on where you're going, but if you decide to go through like uh, one of the nature preserve areas, so if you go to a national park and get off the trails. You will find getting from point A to point B to be a shit ton more difficult because there's things called hills and ankle breakers and you know, roots. Roots. It's not even there's spots where it's washed out all the topsoil and now there's just some leaves covering up a hole full of rocks. Yep. And we all know anybody who's been a kid knows that running on sand is different than running in snow, which is different than running on dirt. Which is far removed from running on concrete. All of them. All of them. They, they are all different. So, yeah, terrain has a huge impact on movement, especially in D&D or space. Or, or visibility. Visibility. Terrain can make or break an encounter. And for me, my, my personal experience in this, and I'm going to give the mic back to you here real quick, but my personal experience is in combat, terrain makes people go, oh, shit. Because if... Somebody is like, there's a pincer attack in one scenario we were in. The trail ran through the middle of the map, which is where our characters were. And anybody who's smart about tactics knows to set up a kill zone. And our player characters were walking through the kill zone. And the enemy was actually up small hills behind bushes and had also set up in the bushes a uh, picket line of sharpened sticks. So charging them would have been a dumb thing to do. You're fighting uphill. We're fighting. Yeah, we have to charge uphill, loose dirt, through bushes that have also uh, had a picket line put in them. So we could run chest first into a sharp stick. And squitch. And yeah, so and terrain changes things because now to get to those guys, we have to move at half speed or even quarter speed to avoid the traps, which gives the enemy more time to screw our day up. And this goes just as well for players too. Uh, I've been in, a, I've played in a game where we created a trap based on uh, a quick ability to remove one specific pillar, right? Basically, create a hollow fall trap. Throw, throw sharpened sticks at the bottom. When the enemy was charging up over it, we move the one piece of dirt that was holding it all up, crashing down, and there goes. Now we've got a kill zone again. They're not hard to set up. No, they're not. Well, enemies should be smart about it. Anyway, Mike, back to Blasphemous. So one of the things is, as a druid, one of their key abilities, which is in almost all versions, is 
rough terrain they can pass over if it's their preferred terrain. And every post I see is, oh, well, this is useless, get rid of it, it never comes up in game. If it does come up, it is fucking amazeballs. Because when you can move at full speed and you have both ranged and melee and, God forbid, uh, animal companion. Or spells. Or both. You know, you you are pretty godsend at that moment. Because when it actually comes up in game, yeah, I don't care if you have the magic boots of fuck your nuts. If it doesn't say you can pass over rough terrain, too bad. You know, to slow people down, especially when it's a monk that normally moves at like 70 feet per turn, to slow them down back to like 30, 30 is 35. big. Yeah, oh, that's huge. Oh, and, and it's like cutting things down to half speed is monumental in any situation where it comes up at all. Mm-hmm. Because it's the difference between I get to hit you this turn and I have to hit you in four turns. And take a bunch of range hits, and possibly when I get up to you, not be within range to hit you, but you have a reach weapon. Right. And, like, all of that. Um, We did this to an army, actually. We used Entangle, and then shot fireworks through their feet. Which lit it on fire, and magically regrowing vines kept that spot on fire for the six turns. It was a nasty tactic. Absolutely. But it, yeah, well, but, there's different terrains that can be used. I mean, like here in the Pacific Northwest, one of the most difficult terrains that anybody can encounter, especially in these suburban and rural environments, uh, anybody who's been out here knows those goddamn things are terrible bad to get through, is sticker bushes. Oh, yeah. Yep. Blueberry or, patches. Blueberry, blackberry. Blackberry patches. Raspberry. Raspberries, yeah. So. Those motherfuckers. I want they, they are to do just, with it. That doesn't just slow you down. That makes you go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, the whole way. And it's if not you, nice. If you're oh, setting you up a... Uh, under your armor. Oh. Oh, yeah, you get some of that shit inside of your armor. Fuck that noise. Oh. That, but, is, that is irritation for at least a week. Yeah. It, setting stuff up like this, uh, the terrain, I mean, even if it is cut down, there's still brambles on the ground that you get snagged in. Any enemy that fights smart and is knowing the terrain that they're fighting on. So if I'm engaged in, say, a skirmish with a bunch of friends and we're playing paintball or whatever, I'm going to go, a sticker bush? I am going to utilize this shit. I'm going to place myself right here so the only way they can shoot me is to have to go through that fucker. (laughs) I think enemies in a role-playing game would do the same thing if they go like, well, this beach has really soft sand because the tide just came out. It feels like trying to run across mud and mud is terabad oh especially God. when it gets super slick that clay well like well, when it gets super slick or when you have at more than six inches of it making suction cups on your to your feet and now you've got you know an extra pound of mud that's just not coming off oh, your boots oh god forbid you're you're fighting in a tundra and there's a frozen over lake oh yeah and oh, you're yeah. like, well, we know that the center of this lake is not thick enough to support weight, so we're going to set ourselves up here, make it really hard for them to run up on us, but cover the lake in, like, snow to, to mask it so that when they run over, by the time they've heard the muffled cracking, it's too late. Exactly. And they would do this. It wouldn't even be that hard. Throw some uh, local tree branches down and throw a dusting of snow on top. It just looks like more ground. I mean, I kind of honestly, in a way, when I look at the... Because uh, they say you could tra- travel up to 12 miles per day on foot. Uh, I know on concrete, personally, from personal experience, uh, thanks to my fucking motor, uh, I can do more than that on concrete. 
which sucks. But I think after 12 miles, your dogs will be barking way too much. It's not I, a fun experience. I've done a 20-mile-in-a-day hike with a, like... It's about seven from the front door of my job to my front door of my house. And I have walked it. And by the time I get that done with that seven miles, I'm like, fuck another five. Yeah. Screw that. I can only... Do, and I do that in two hours. You know. I'm just like, nope, nope, screw it. Yeah, pull but, up your Google Maps and put in locations and just see how long it takes to walk between them, you know? Yeah. Right. And, but the thing is... Well, I, I was timing it thanks to Pokemon Go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just having to convert kilometers to miles and be like, holy shit, I live quite a ways away. But at the same time, you know, they say you can walk 12 miles per day in uh, Pathfinder and D&D both. And that seems about right, because given terrain, 12 miles in eight hours seems pretty damn appropriate. Especially when you consider you have to pack up, you have to pack up your tamp site every morning, you have to set it up at every night and those both take time Dude. you're carrying anywhere between 10 and 45 or more pounds of crap on your back well, much of the time well i would say the terrain differs like stay say here in uh the united states if we're on the west coast where are we where we are now we have hills where you can walk up a hill in three different directions you can go north east and south and still be going and still up. be going up a hill and then you're like, fuck it, turn around, walk west, and within 10 minutes you're walking up another hill. There are hills that have hills hidden within hills here. It's bullshit. And then you come from my home country where, you know, it's desert. It's you're going to have, you know, sticker bushes everywhere. You're going to have tumbleweeds coming at you. And it can get pretty flat in spots, so that wind just whips. Oh yeah, like in the Midwest, the wind can just fucking knock you right off your feet. Yeah. Sure, it is flat, but there's nothing holding back the wind when you're not around in the trees. And the worst you got to deal with is like, um, in some places in the Midwest, you know, there's uh, from the rain runoff. You know, there'll, there'll be ankle breaker, breaks or silt and stuff like that that have to navigate. Washout areas. Washout areas. All and the then once place. you get past the Mississippi, then, you know, you get into uh, places away from the suburbs, of course, which is very densely grown. You know, like oh, yeah. You look at some of the properties available uh, that's uh, meant for housing or homesteading and stuff like that, which I've been doing. And I just look at it. I'm like, where the fuck are you going to build without knocking down at least 20 trees just to put in a trailer? Mm-hmm. You know, it's very... Not to mention the path to get the trailer there. Yeah, and, of course, they do have some hills, especially when you get over to, like, um, well, they got them everywhere, of course, but some of the worst ones I've seen are, like, in West by God, Virginia, and Georgia. They got some really ferocious hills over there that match ours, almost. I think our hills would win in a fight if we put both hills in a ring together, but still, they got a lot of them and a lot of overgrowth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even just in the Pacific Northwest, right... There are a lot of hiking trails and camping spots where you're rocking through switchbacks left and right, which adds a lot of time, but not a lot of de actual functional distance traveled. True. Uh, that, that would be the case of, like, Turtle Mountain down south. Uh, Turtle Mountain is actually more of a hill. It's only, like, a thousand feet high, but... It's you, so switchbacked. It has a lot of switchbacks. You basically have to walk... To the top, to get to the top of the hill, you have to basically walk around it like three times going around switchbacks and around it up and up and up. And a lot of the paths are cordoned off that, you know, you're like, oh, well, 
could go this way if there wasn't these giant hexagonal cylinders of stone embedded in the side of the mountain. Because back when uh, volcanoes started making this area into what it is now, some of them were launching giant pencil-shaped slabs of stone that yeah, would basalt monoliths. Basalt monoliths. They're all over the place on that. Well, mountain. remember, the other thing that gave us a lot of the hills and stuff was both a collection of the icebergs that took this area over during the Ice Ages and that giant lake that ended up uh, disappearing off the map, basically, when the combination ice and earthen dam that had naturally formed broke and flooded this area out over and over again over yep. the course of centuries. And... That's part of why it's all hilly. It's basically giant, you know, ripples. It is. If you look at the uh, topography of eastern Washington, oh, yeah. it, it shows that the glacial movements uh, over the course of millennia, because you know, the hills over there are really smooth. They're not like over here where they're all jaggy and shit. Over there, and if you take a good aerial look at it, they are. They're like sandbar ripples. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you go hiking through those, there's certain, like, I know in eastern Washington there's a camping ground called, that we called Potholes. It's a whole collection of small man-made lakes in the middle of basically a ranch. Yeah, like, the the only time I, I can see, like, if I'm running a game and I'm, like, making different regions for my players to encounter and stuff... And terrain is one of these things that really can differentiate different places. Like, when I ran that game that was the the three different kingdoms fighting each other, like, when you went to uh, the southeastern region, it was very vibrant. There was a lot of green, there was a lot of growth and plants, but if you went over towards the uh, holy city that was on the other side of the mountains, it was more desert and flat, but there was small hills all over the place. So the terrain itself gave a different feel for where you were at. One and side of the mountain, not so much rain. The other side, shit tons. It's called a wind it's called a rain break and it does exist. It, it happens does. all over the damn world. It's so interesting to see. Yeah, terrain that... can give a place a very a vastly different feel. That's one thing I do like about some of the modules in Pathfinder. Uh, like they have one that's uh, takes place in Ustengrav and they describe Ustengrav and Ustengrav seems like even at noon, like being in, I would say, Louisiana without the heat on a muddy 8 o'clock evening in November. So it's Romania. Basically. But that's the way it feels. And they describe it in the book. You know, like the, the ground is always soft and doughy. The trees have a pallid look to them like they're about to shed their leaves at any moment. It gives it a different feel than when you're in, say, Cheliax. Mm-hmm. You know, Cheliax is mostly suburb and sprawl and, you know, old buildings and shit. Or think about the Dragonlance uh, world setting. They go into a lot of detail about the different regions, you know. Being in the kingdom of the dwarves, you're underground. And even then, there's differences between being in the high city and being out in the mines. True. Then you go into uh, the lands both before and after the... Uh, giant cataclysm and there are entire regions where it once was a thriving you know port town and then the continental plate got shifted and the ocean is just hundreds of miles away now true and now it's a city in the middle of a desert that has a nautical theme whoops i guess they didn't plan ahead (laughs) well i mean depending on what you know 
that you might not expect that to happen. Like, I don't think a cataclysm was on anybody's minds when they were designing a city. Well, maybe not pissing off the gods would be a good idea, but that's my own personal that's take on the whole situation. Yeah, gods is a different episode. We've already done that, I believe. But still, it, it's it. a thing of, when you're talking about these places, fighting uphill on the side of a sand dune is very different from fighting downhill in, like, I don't know, uh, an ice cliff. Or in the middle of a city. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, the strange part is a lot of the and I, I know you guys have been there a lot of the times people go about travel and describing combat and stuff it feels like I'm on the west side of Oregon where there really isn't much in the way of hills for the most part and everything is kind of flat it's kind of like that weird flat spot between two mountain ranges the Cascades and the Rockies but like to get anywhere you really don't have to go uphill everything's kind of flat and you really it's like traveling around kansas at a bad larp event yeah and because it's high desert and there's a lot of uh sand content to the soil there's not much in the way of plant growth as far as like on this side of the mountains like you can go from point a to point b and you might have to like shimmy around a couple of branches and a couple of trees but for the most part it's a straight shot don't worry about it and that's what most of the D&D games that I get into or other games, you know, it's like, oh, you want to go from point A to point B? Well, let me just draw a straight line on the map and you're there. Mm-hmm. No, it's, no. Travel never works that way. Like, Unless when you, you have an airship. Unless you have an airship or some other means of point-to-point transportation like a portal. Portals would do that. Portals would do that. That's its whole different ball. Uh, but the terrain is a huge factor in how cities are built what they're made of and how they're designed and how they're designed to be defensible if they are oh yeah architecture is one of those things that's definitely terrain based uh let's take a a couple of real world examples um houses on stilts just right up the street yeah because when the uh, snohomish river floods there are houses that wind up in the floodplain, so they're built higher and have their own different they got a different footprint than the houses that are up on the hills because when it floods, the houses don't wash away. There's or also a trailer on pontoons and a giant chain. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that too. Or, you know, that's just even our, in our region, but you mentioned a desert region uh, in your Three Kingdoms game. Yes, right? I did. So they're having probably more clay and earthen style architecture yeah i did i did describe that that most of their uh permanent buildings were built out of sandstone uh adorned with marble for decoration and a lot of the living houses they had there were uh, basically adobe or mud clay uh, combinations and that's because that's what they have to work with that's what's local that's what's nearby and accessible versus like across the mountain uh which was uh, I think Mujitabo. Yeah, Mujitabo, uh, which was, was mostly like, wood. Yeah, it was a very resplendent forest jungle sort of area. So wood was everywhere. Yeah, it was mostly wood and paper for their houses. And the kingdom to the north that was also in the three-way war uh, did more with stone and stuff because they were in basically hillside mountains that was similar in geography to, say, Scotland. Yeah. So all of these things, right? Even disregarding what the land under my feet feels like or looks like or is those three architectural styles are vastly different and will always be vastly different because of where they are mm-hmm. absolutely and it also gave a feel that like when i mentioned you know you guys were walking into a building and you notice that it's made out of stone 
you'd be like, oh, we must be getting closer to the border. You know, if I gave some sort of description, like, you know, you see more and more houses built out of wood, then you obviously are traveling closer to Mujitaba than you are the other two places. Exactly. And this goes for, you know, water features as well, right? Absolutely. Like, uh, ran generated, randomly generating a town, I had found it had a river running through it, so I'm like, well, it's got a water mill now, because why would you not have one? Uh, and it's got a rope processing, because they had one building that was just ridiculously long. Ridiculous. Or one place that I've planned out for my, I had to look up what the words were, uh, for my group is they end up traveling to find an item, and it's in a river delta. Boat mm-hmm. went down, it's more than likely the item is somewhere in the silt around there. But this river delta have a high excess of reeds, so this is a place where they make a lot of the classical style scrolls at. Which are really good because when the magic is used, it burns away, it's clean, you still have the, the parchment. little handles for the parchment. Well, it's, uh, uh what is reed paper? Because parchment is actually the stretched animal skin. I believe so. Yeah, the uh, the scrolls, though, that are made out of... Uh, uh, papyrus? Papyrus, there we go. That's the word. Because think about it, you want to do a, something that, you know, you want to take care of but can be remade rather quickly. Papyrus makes a lot more sense than everyone making their scrolls out of, you know, animal skin or hard-to-make paper. Yeah. Reeds, you stack them in differing layers and you can have one 20 feet long. Pretty quickly. Yeah, and so this place is going to be a place where they make magic scrolls. Right. So it, it's one of those things of fighting here, it's a river delta for one. So there's all kinds of little, you know, the river kind of breaks up and flattens out, but trying to fight across this, you're going to be on a lot of uh, raised platforms. If you are on the actual ground ground, it's going to be soft. There could be all kinds of animals hiding in it. There could even be just random rocks hidden, rather big ones too, which would, that's an instant ankle break. Well, there's also the other factor too, which uh, goes into another episode we did, which was uh, weather. And weather is different, of course, uh, depending on terrain, also brings its own different hazards and further separates and different regions from each other it further separates those and gives more life to your world and one of these is say like you're walking across a plains environment the sky darkens and you're like well it may not be tornado but if it's lightning we all better get on the ground because mm-hmm. <clears throat> we do not want to have the fighter on his horse riding across during a thunderstorm or you know maybe <clears throat> it's time we all take our armor off and put it in the wagon yeah or on the other hand if you're traveling across a mountainous terrain the gear you're going to be taking will be different than a forest terrain or even a jungle Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Nobody brought a fucking machete to the jungle. Nobody yep. brought rope to the mountains. Well, it's going to change your gameplay experience. Mm-hmm. Nobody bought water, brought water or a means to create it to the desert. No, you have a bad time. Me. We're going to bring barrels, create water into them, and then dump them out once we're on the other side of the anti-magic zone. But that... What? How... No, that doesn't work. Well, once they're out of the anti-magic zone, they can just create more water later. I'm like, the yeah. locals are going to hate you. The guides you hired are going to hate you. Can't, we're just going to dump it out. No, no, if you conjure water into barrels before you travel into an anti-magic zone, the water will remain. 
Fair. Because the water is summoned. It is 100%. The spell is over. Water. The exists. spell is over. The water is drawn from the elemental plane of water. It's put in the barrels. It will remain. <clears throat> I can see that. Yeah, but, yeah. That was the smartest thing they did. Dumping it out before you leave your guide is kind of a dick maneuver. It's like, ah, oh, we got 40 gallons of whoops. <laughs> Thanks for the trip. Here's some gold. You, I, you, buy some water. <laughs> That's that's very true. And weather and the terrain are very closely linked. Oh, they very closely. Like you cannot have one without the other. So storms will not happen in the middle of the mountains unless you're in a desert already. It's like a married couple who are always fighting. I mean, think of the Great Lakes. Oh, well, that would be one hell of a terrain to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Oh, to yeah. travel by small boat through Eat during cold. storm season. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Or even winter? <laughs> well, that's basically the end of storm season. Yeah, winter. that would suck balls. A lot of And even with magic items and portageable boats, that's still small boats in large areas. Large open areas that are not protected from the wind. Or other elements. Like, well, we'll just get a galleon. Hold on, you're going to get a warship to go across the lake. It's a big lake. Even then. Even then. that it, It's going to take more people just to make the warship work that than is. it would be to just be like, all right, we're going to get a 12-man sloop. We'll donate it to Cars for Kids. <laughs> One, eight, seven, seven galleons for kids. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it, it's like... Some people don't get the scale at some things, you know, like if... Say, we've, I've shown uh, Goblin the episode of Top Gear, or no, not Top Gear, Grand Tour, where they go to Mongolia. Oh, yeah. And that was some beautiful country, but man, that terrain changed. And, you know, the a giant um, meadow full of ruts ended up being the worst thing they had to travel through. And they went through a small portion of the Gobi Desert. They went through lakes. They went up and over mountains. I like where they went over the, the steppes. Uh, where it was at those uh, the hills and the plains with the big ass rocks in them, and they're just yeah. trying to get to the top of a hill. Mm-hmm. Even with modern technology, the terrain was winning. Yeah, yeah. The and, the vehicle was hopping. Yeah. Ugh. And this is something that puts it into perspective for you know what what would you have done if you were had had to deal with horse and buggy, or you know any beast of burden and a cart, because players are wont to do this all the time yep this which, is part of the reason why we have those metal rails underneath wagons which is the precursor to shocks yeah yeah actually and you know let's let's also take a, a little bit of a gander at the idea of using vehicles in various terrain oh because... I mean the, the terrain I was just thinking of was traveling across the, the wild west we talked about the wild west in another episode there's a reason it took people three to six months to travel from St. Louis to California. Yeah. And they had a wagon with one to two horses. And how many times they had to stop to do a repair in the middle of a field to just put a new axle on. Or, or not even just a repair, but a stop to rest. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, your horses are pulling all the weight, they're doing their job, that's great, but they're going to get tired eventually. No matter what you do, they're going to get tired eventually. And if you do magically trick them into not being tired, you're going to kill them. 
because they will work themselves to exhaustion and die from it. Yes, that's absolutely true. Because they don't know better. And this is another reason why we should follow like the rule of thumb that they give in most books about you know travel time on foot. Is even if you're traveling a certain distance with an animal, there's a point in time where you're like, okay, we've ridden this horse for six hours. It's time to pull the horse over, lash it to a tree, and let the damn thing get its breath back. Well, even then, you don't want to be riding that horse the whole time. You're gonna, like we look in that movie Hidalgo. Mm. He spends less time riding the horse and more time walking beside it just so it carries his stuff. Because you don't tire him out as quickly. You can travel longer that way. Right. And it's, you know, this is going to be true of any environment. Uh, if I bring a mountain goat to the desert, it's going to have a bad time. But oh, if, yeah. I, if I bring a camel up a mountain, it's also probably not going to be terribly thrilled with me. It might, it might not. But creatures exist adapted to their terrain. There's plenty of, you know, there's bestiary monsters by terrain. It's all over the place. But it makes sense, right? Yeah, wet You're dungeon, not... dry dungeon, cramped dungeon. Icy dungeon. You don't want to be riding a giant lizard through the tundra. They're going to have a bad time if they can move at all. I do. Yes, we know about the lusty Argonian maid. No! I mean, like, because once my lizard dies, I can hollow it out and wear it as a hat. <laughs> and I'll get some new luggage. <laughs> or a belt. Wallets. Whatever you can. I'll make a killing once I find civilization on, you know, consumer goods from rare faraway lands. <laughs> it's so heartless, but entirely something players would do. Yeah, it's actually like... um one of the ones that's fun too of seeing terrain and shit and I'm just one you know whenever we watch like these old war documentaries especially like Vietnam I can see why we went with helicopters more than any other thing because yeah you terrain can, is bullshit you, you can VTOL and there's actually like this bushcrafting channel I watch and the kids over like in um, near that area Saigon he's near that area and he's got his own bushcrafting channel just outside of civilization and all that and every freaking camera angle you see when he's building his uh, mud house and flooding a water to you know make his own little uh, rice patty and shit you know living off grid but doing it Asian style every damn camera angle you see a giant fucking hill right within stone's throw of where he's building his house and I'm just like can you? You can't travel twelve miles a day walking in that shit. You're going around a hill, and you're going up a hill, then you're going around another one, then you're going down another one. Mm -hmm. That and they're all super steep. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. And going down a super steep hill is actually harder than going up a super steep hill. Up yep. a super steep, you can climb. Down a super steep, you have to make sure you're not falling. You do the butt slide. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. But yeah, can you, like, oh, having man. a D&D &D, campaign in terrain like that, travel would suck because there is no such thing as a straight line from point A to point B. Yeah, everyone has this idea like it's, you know, well, we'll just take the highway there. And it's like, all right, you, you've ever traveled long distance. Most of these people have never left their hometown. The highway goes that way for a while, and then it veers off to the left, and then it comes back around, but it can't line up with where it was, so it's got to continue going. And then it'll cycle back, or mm -hmm. it'll be like, nope, I'm done, we're going to pass it, pass the torch to the next highway. 
See ya. Yeah. Well, hell, modern society has become very enamored with travel over large, flat, poor rock terrain because it's very fucking convenient. And very efficient. And this is a, a new form of travel, really, for the Western world uh, since the Dark Ages. I mean, like, yeah, sure, you'd have Paris and you'd have, you know, other cities. Madrid. Rome built roads that last to this day, but they didn't have the same stresses as we do now. And even then, most people couldn't travel the actual road because some bureaucrat or local warlord controlled traffic across that and tolls. Yeah, well, and can you imagine traveling from, like, say, Paris to Madrid in 1750? God. Would, once you get outside of the major cities, there's not really things like cobbled streets anymore. There's a reason why bandits still exist to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even traveling in a vehicle, from, you know... With well, today's standards. With today's standards, it would be rough as fuck. Or try driving a modern car in an old city. Yeah, exactly. You're gonna have a bad like the time. super narrow streets that are like one car width only. If that. If that, yeah. <laughs> like they couldn't get carriages down them. There's a reason why Vespas are really popular in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> they're fucking tiny. And they're really good on gas. Yep, they're really good on gas. Cool. But they, they just really suck when they break down, mm. which is the problem with most Italian things. Well, you know, it's a Vespa. You just pick it up and keep on walking. <laughs> That's 20 pounds I don't need in my life. I'll leave it on the side of the road. Yeah. Well, I'll go and have a lunch. Well, Bella, 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 fuck it. I'm walking. <laughs> <laughs> All joking aside, you know, Goblin has mentioned that the preparations you need to take for the different terrain is vastly different based on their biome, their environment. Uh, if I'm going dungeon delving in the mountains, I'm wanting probably ice climbing gear, depending on where I am in the world. Rope, at least a couple of good ways to get light, lots of food, because it's going to be scarce, and ways to defend myself, at the very least. Versus if I'm going in a desert, that priority list changes wildly. Absolutely. Like, barrels, water, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you travel at night when you're in the desert, because it's too goddamn hot in the day. Yup. Yep. And if you can't travel by night, you are SOL and you better learn or hire a good guy. And as soon as the sun starts coming up, you pitch your tent and you place the back wind flap and the front wind flap in the direction of the wind to get under the shade so the wind at least can try, do something. try to do something. Yeah. Uh, you mainly don't want to put your tent flaps within the path of the sun. Exactly. Well, unless you want to start traveling the next night looking like a lobster that's been boiled. Right. See, you guys see my tan I got from being in my home country. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. it's substantial. Um, I, I I actually burned. Wow. Know? Well, yeah, that's impressive. Because you come from a sun scorched hellhole. <laughs> uh, Land of the sun, my friend. Land of the sun. And you can keep it. <laughs> Agreed. I'm, I'm mountain people. You can have you your have mountains. You have Not of the same type. You have dry plateaus. No, we have mesas, but we you have, have what looks like treeless, shriveled scrotums. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so damn hot that the mountains can't even retain any moisture and just dry up like fucking raisins. 
You come from hell. <laughs> Not I hell. like my green verdant stream covered mountains with pine trees and birch and spruce. Okay. Right? The goblins got it right. This is the right place. I'm mountain people. Fuck your desert. <laughs> you These can mountains look nice. Look at that. Okay, oh. yeah, but they have a water next to them. Which means yes, they're that's not... a river. We yeah, have... yeah, the of water... course we're going to live near the river. We don't live out in the middle of Vegas. <laughs> See, look at this. No water there, but that still looks beautiful. It's no, it does not look granite. beautiful. That, no, no. that looks dry. That mountain is red. You know why it's red? Because it's been baked by the sun so long that it retains the solar radiation from being burned that. alive. And yes, all the iron. weeds in the picture, but still. And all the iron. Fuck that. I would rather live with Here's swamp the people than of the that. mountain. So this is on the okay, east so side where it's green. Yeah, it's on the east side where it's green. Yeah, because the east side is facing the ocean. We don't have ocean. East of us is Texas. Yeah, you know what's east of Texas? The Gulf of fucking Mexico. Oh, south, but still. Southeast. Whatever. But yeah, no, we, we have a bunch of... Oh, man, the white sands... Uh, Oh, there's a tram. Well, white sand. It looks like a racist place to live. <laughs> Maybe well, that desert should check its privilege. You, you now, know, like, here's our mountains in the winter. Oh, God, that's horrible. Not you, a fucking tree. Like, I mean, not even trees and, like... It, that is plenty of tree there. The, the snow is spotty, like it's anemic <laughs> compared to here, where it's like, you've got clear white tops. It's like a raisin. Well, hold on, on. You no, know no. the other problem with, with the whole being over here thing? There, there's too many goddamn homeless and druggies over here. Yes, we don't have that problem. You don't have that problem because they would all die of dehydration <laughs> with you. a guy poking them with a pitchfork laughing. <laughs> yeah. <No>, welcome. <laughs> Your mountains look like fucking raisins with sharp edges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. They look like someone badly honed a knife, ah, and that's the result. This yeah. is the ski resort up on the mountain. Look at that. Beautiful. Okay, but that ski resort. Therefore, okay, so that's artificial like, snow. Yeah. No, it's natural snow. Yeah, that's a ski resort with what, like 20 acres of snow like poured in from somewhere? No, nope. poured in from God on top of the mountain by fucking clouds. Whatever you call the name of the guy who drives the truck bringing that snow there. <laughs> that's why I didn't say <laughs> Is his Jesus. name Jesus? <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, here's another. Uh, so that yeah, looks like an orchard. There's but, a whole bunch of stuff there. The, that's the sunset. So the the thing is, you can have a bunch of different stuff happen. Like, you can have mountains in the middle, like Kilimanjaro, right? If yep. I was a ranger, I would never go there. That is not my preferred terrain. In fact, that's my favorite enemy terrain. And I would get an attack bonus for attacking your mountains. <laughs> but you can think about it like Kilimanjaro. What do you see from that? It, it It's savannah around it. And you travel, what, a mile up that mountain? Completely different terrain at that point. And it's a different weather biome because the clouds can't reach the top of it most of the time. Well, and there's also different things about terrain. And uh, to point this out, and you can fool your players. Mm -hmm. uh, the driest place in the world is actually right next to a mountain range. It is down in South America, right uh, along the west coast of South America, right up north of Chile. And Chile is awesome. If anybody knows anybody from Chile, ask them to swear because it's a goddamn art form to those people. <laughs> Holy shit. But the driest place in the world is actually right next to the ocean. But the way the tectonic shifts and erosion have happened is that the ocean hits basically a cliff. Yeah. And then the clouds hit a cliff. And then the moisture just can't get over that cliff. So the entire, like, stretch is this dry fucking, like, I think it's like 
0.4 centimeters of fluid might fall out of the sky a year. It is just so what damn... What if you drop like a thousand feet to where you're halfway down the cliff, all of a sudden you are living in like liquid air. Yeah. And it's like if you were to bore a hole through the mountain range separating that spot from the rainforest on the other side, it would just dramatically change. Oh, yeah. It would become a wind tunnel for one. Well, it would become a wind tunnel. But, I mean, like, if you were to carve a notch in that mountain range so that the moisture from the rainforest could get across... That entire would, region would be at least more verdant. It would actually... It would be tolerable. <laughs> I don't know about... They, they, people drive their vehicles across there to, to study it, you know? Get a scientist out there who's doing climate studies and everything, and they're or the guys checking shit out. <laughs> and they drive across that desert, and they finally get to the spot where they can finally get some water at a local watering hole, and their car is literally panting. <laughs> like, like the front fenders are drooping down like ears, and the, the headlights look at them like, dude, never again. <laughs> Looks like a cartoon. Yeah, it does. You know, like the oil inside your engine starts drying up. It just sucks it right out. It is essentially Earth's form of silica gel. Mm -hmm. that, that entire desert. It, that would actually be really fucked up to pull up players. It's well, a yeah, desert that's... which sucks the moisture out of them, so the longer they're going, the more it's like, I don't know, bathing in silica gel. You just, I feel dry. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where the Nazca lines are, and that's part of the reason they've existed for so long, because almost no weather gets there. Exactly. You know. And, fringe plot hook, hmm, throw a lich there. That would be a perfect oh. place to gather a bunch of undead because they're going to be preserved by that dry heat. Well, not, not just that. It's like, and, oh, the humans want to come and attack us in a place where there's no water? <laughs> Go for it. You got to help. So or, basically all the lich has to do is attack the supply lines and wait for everybody to, like, just fall over. Fall over from dehydration. Or even better than that, you put a portal to, you know, a nether realm... And yeah, just like, <laughs> we're demons, we control this area. You want to come and fight us? Well, that's funny. Funny, funny, funny. Yeah, and, you know, this is true. Like, people make fortresses by utilizing what's natural around them. Exactly. There's I so many fortresses built on hills. Or on cliffs, or, yep. like, a natural little island. Like, I think there's one in Scotland. Somewhere in the UK, there's a castle. Yeah, it's that, that has... one that's in um, fucking Monty Python and the Holy Grail. There's a little castle. I don't know. Fucking. I mean, oh, yeah. that too, but there's also a bunch of them that are actually like legitimate castles that do exist. Very real places. Oh, how cute. You're showing yeah. us a tiny version of the Devil's uh, fucking Plateau. Well, yeah, but these are places naturally occurring, and the, most of the native tribes from the Southwest will build their pueblos or their encampments on top of these little mesas. Because and... it's highly defensible. Oh yeah. yeah I wonder and why. Sometimes you can find a spring or they have a well dug in there that's, you know, ancient beyond all reckoning. But you know, these smaller ones, not that one because it's got no tree growth on it, but if you find these ones where you can see plant life up there, it's probably a good place to go. Um... Anyway, while you're anyway, searching, while, for while that, you're yeah. searching up, you know, and well, pining for your hellish domain of where you're But you it's one of those up. things of these are defensible <laughs> locations. You could easily put a town up here, and you know they're gold mining down into it or something. Or like the desert dwarves have this fucking spot done up, and 
that's the only trading post where you can try and get the equipment you need for miles and miles around. Oh, yeah, dwarves building on a mesa would be fucking supreme. Oh, yeah. That's like the idea I had for uh, forest elves. You know, you get the wood elves, and they do, like, those um, crazy-ass, uh, and some of them are actually not very environmentally friendly, the uh, fucking bushcraft videos, like Survival Basic or whatever on YouTube, where they dig down into the clay content of the soil and then put a roof over it. Which would make a lot of sense for elves, you know, who say the median is that 20-foot mark. Like, you say, if you were living in an environment, which anybody who wants to see horrible fucking terrain, look up Papua New Guinea. Because uh, no there's that 20-foot line uh, where all the bugs and snakes and shit are. So that's where the tree people build up above that. But if you have, like, forest elves in that 20-foot mark between the ground level to the tree line is, you know, bugs and snakes and horrible shit... So the elves build down into the lower areas where the soil is cooler and so they, they got more temperature control. Mm -hmm. They got less flying predators coming into their home to do crazy shit. Or they live 20 feet above that tree line and build tree houses or a combination of both. Mm. You know, utilize so you your stores down in the cool area and live in the higher. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Or um, adapt a small set of those underground homes as defense positions on the ground. Well, yeah, can you imagine you know, you're walking along, you got your uh, party together, you got your fighter, your mage, your cleric, your rogue, you're walking along and you don't even realize that you're walking over an entire encampment of say 200 elves that have just built a village underground. Right. And you piss one of them off. You know, you see, like, a, bunch, a few scouts come out, and they're like, oh, there's only three of them, we can kill them, and suddenly elves just start popping out of the ground. They fucking welcome to the jungle starts playing over loudspeakers. Exactly. <laughs> Again, NPCs will be doing intelligent shit. People are players, not dumb. not so much. Players. Yeah, yeah, players. But, you know, or foxholes, right? Yeah. Another, another good way for elves to do would be lowered foxholes and almost trench warfare in that sort of situation where they don't want to be in that 20-foot band. Exactly, or they could just build like the three-man uh, ferret hole where they've got the spotter, the watcher, and maybe an archer in back, and they just take turns on rotation, keeping watch over, say, a dangerous location where a troll may be nearby. Mm, the players right. would never see it. <laughs> At, unless they had some godsend dice rolls. Hey, and even then, they might not notice. With some dry grass, a few sticks, and some leaves, you can hide practically anything in the forest. Yeah, oh, man. I've seen it. Think better about, like, uh, say, a naval encampment. Oh, yeah. So, Count of Monte Cristo, one of my favorite books. They talk about how on the island there was a little grotto where they were able to get a small ship into, and you would never see it from the ocean. Yeah. And you could just set up a nice little fortress. You're in a kill box if people can get the high ground. But... Think about finding places like if you're doing like a Greek style ship based campaign where you're going island to island um, trying to find your riches, then there's so many like we pull into a cave and we set up in there or we we go in and park our ship at the dock and blah 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 and we start running around. These islands can all have very different biomes between being a windswept rock to being a verdant paradise. Or that one that is still under contention whether or not America owns it or uh, Mexico owns it, but I think Mexico owns it at last time. Which is nothing more than an island that's a sandbar which birds poop on. <laughs> but it's the bird poop that's valuable. That's bird poop that's valuable. 
Or, you know, I would be that dick, though. Somebody, like, goes, oh, yeah, well, we're doing an island campaign, and I'm going to use the terrain to my advantage and pull my boat into that cave, and we're going to hide there while the patrol boats pass by. And I'm like, all right, well, the tide comes in, and your mask gets broken. Or all of a sudden, the cave starts shrinking, and you think it's the tide coming in, but it's a giant snapping turtle that looks like an island. <laughs> it's giant. It's the Dragon world. turtles. <laughs> Or, or the lion turtles. You have the park in the one cave that has a tree growing on the shell. Nice. Brilliant. And, you know, there's also many, many ways that the terrain influences things. Like, I had designed a fortress. It was a trade hub, a dwarven trade hub. It was built high into a mountain. Not all the way at the top, but very high. It was, you know, a solid four miles of switchback path to get there to the one and only gate that's actually not mountain. <laughs> and they had a fuck ton of portals that were just major cities all over the place, and that's how they got most of their supplies, is by portal trading. Why not, right? And Of course, dwarves are going to find the one fucking volcano, dig down, and that's where they're going to use their forges. A barrel rock! <laughs> right? But... Like, that was its whole thing. It had high-quality material and blacksmithing, so it was a major, almost weapons depot that would trade out to whoever bought. And it was a pain in the ass to get to, because they made it that way. Well, yeah. Duh. Terrain has many variable factors. Uh, as we said in this episode, and I'm just going to get straight to my final thoughts on this one, because we're getting near time. Yeah. Terrain has many variable factors, which I've covered. And first of all, is for players, it differentiates theme of one place from another. Say it's the building materials of one place versus the building materials of another. It helps in that regard that when you start describing what buildings are like or what clothing people are wearing or what the weather's like, how grassy it is, they can have. If they've traveled around and you've got your world separated in certain ways, they can pretty much tell where they're at. You're like, oh, there's a lot of hills and a lot of pine trees. They must be near the west coast of America. Well, there's a lot of hills, a lot of overgrowth, and a lot of very venomous snakes. Oh, they must be on the east side of America. It does differentiate when you describe what kind of stuff they're getting into when they're doing terrain. It also encounters the rules. Uh, when it comes to combat, whether you're fighting in mud, snow, sand, silt, knee-deep water, the rules, of course, are there for the characters, especially like a druid or a ranger. Favored terrain versus terrain I can move through with special abilities. It's important in that regard. So not only thematically, but rules-wise, it is important. So I would advise any GM out there, watch some nature channels, watch some bushcraft channels, Get a geology book. Get a geology book. Read a couple of National Geographic for the... Um, um, articles? For the articles, yeah. The articles right. on topography, mostly. Uh, especially small hills. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's my final thoughts. More uh, of a Native Hills kind of guy? More of the Native Hills kind of guy. You know, the ones that are well decorated and painted well. Um, I'm just going to end it there. Anyway... <laughs> I'm just going to say as far as terrain goes, always keep that in your tool bag because it has multiple use importance and glossing over it dulls down your world and makes it feel less lifelike. That's it. Game Goblin, going back to my crypt. I would say that the terrain is the reason for things being where they are. 
And with that in mind, whatever is happening, whatever you're doing in your campaign, it is because of the terrain. In its own way, it's the root of everything. It's the root of how they, how your players will perceive the world. It's the root of how the world will react to the players. How they will react to each other and even their neighbors. What materials they're wearing, what their architecture is like, what what local trade happens because, you know, oh, that town over there's got an iron mine and that town over there has silver and they trade because they need them both. And all this thing, all of these things are because of the terrain. Danger is secondary, but it is there. And it's worthy of keeping in mind and keeping at the forefront. And with that, Kazarkan, back to these guys. My final thoughts on the matter are simple. Using the terrain, whether you're doing theater of the mind, just get descriptive, learn some good ways to describe it. Uh, if it comes to you're doing tabletop, don't be afraid to use scatter terrain or get a whiteboard and lay it on your table and doodle on it. Get a remarkable uh, battle map. You know, whatever you want to do. You don't have to go crazy and build battle tiles and different levels and you can just draw it and say okay if you pass the purple line you're five feet above that and the blue line is five feet above that find a way to make it work if you're doing it you know with a tabletop setting where you're a lot of grid maps hex boards whatever it is but you you can if you want make actual terrained areas if you wish. It's not a requirement. You can do a lot of stuff with Theater of the Mind, and if you do the physical bits, try out a few things. Scatter terrain is always nice. You can use it multiple ways. And really just let the terrain be icing on the cake. It helps set things up. It helps differentiate so it's not, oh, it's battle again. We're going to do the same five moves over and over and over again until we win. Let's change it up. And that's a real easy way to do it. Darth Blasphemous, signing off.
you know, they say geology is what it is, but geography is where it's at. <laughs> oh, you had to land us there? <laughs>